The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Today is part three of the 2013 Gift of Exoneration series. I can't imagine being falsely convicted, and I can't even comprehend dying in prison as an innocent person. That is exactly what happened to Timothy Cole. Tim was minding his own business, going to school and studying after getting out of the military. He was 26 years old. He was uh, identified as being a rapist, and he was convicted of rape in 1986 when the victim testified to his identity. But to make matters worse, the real rapist confessed in 1995, but despite the confession of the real rapist, nothing happened. Timothy was still in prison. Timothy died in 1999. But Timothy's family didn't give up, uh, and neither did the Innocence Project, and you'll hear all about this, the Innocence Project of Texas, a.k.a. IPTX. Uh, Ten years after his death, a DNA test cleared his name to, and I'm going to quote this, to 100% moral, legal, and factual certainty. With me today is Timothy's brother, Corey Session. Hi, Corey. How are you? How are you? Thank you for being here. Uh, Corey assists, do you guys call it, uh, how do you say your Innocence Project? Do you say the acronym or do you just call it IPTX? It's IPTX. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. And I love the Texas accent. <laughs> Corey assists IPTX on public policy initiatives and community outreach. He's a graduate of University of Texas at Austin. Uh, he graduated in 1991, and then he worked for Representative Garfield Thompson as a legislative aide for about three years. He testified before the Texas 1981 I mean, I start in 1981, the Texas 81 legislature about his family's experience, um, you know, obviously with wrongful convictions. And he also makes many public appearances to educate people about the causes of wrongful convictions and how they can be prevented. Nick lives in, or uh, Corey lives in Fort Worth. And then we have Nick Vilbus. Nick hails from Kemp, Texas. He's an attorney at IPTX. He obtained his bachelor's in biology from the University of Texas at Arlington. And following college, he held several positions, including law enforcement and court administration in the criminal justice field. So during his first year of law school at Texas Tech University School of Law, he approached the Innocent Project representatives. 
He hasn't left the organization since. He's been captured. While he was in law school, he clerked for a local defense lawyer for two years. Why he absolutely was simultaneously working at the Innocence Project Clinic. And he was honored as the Innocence Project Member of the Year Award, IPTX Member of the Year Award in 2009 for his dedication to that organization. Shortly after taking the bar exam, Nick joined the staff at the Innocence Project and to serve as the case director. And then one year later, he became the project's executive director. He also serves on the, as a board member for the Innocence Network. Hi, Nick. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing this morning? Really good. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is... Um, this is such an important case, and you've made a lot of strides in Texas because of it. Unfortunately, Tim had to die to make that happen. But let's talk about the process, um, what happened, and how he actually was identified. Can you, who, Which of you would like to tell that story, Corey or Nick? Well, I can tell you, uh, this is Corey, uh, the ridiculous process uh, that the state used to use uh, and a lot of law enforcement agencies use to identify people uh, has changed since then. But Tim was simply identified simply because he went to a restaurant to pick up his roommate from work. And while he was there, uh, he made conversation, struck up a conversation with a young lady uh, who was walking down the sidewalk. And he went inside the restaurant. His roommate was not ready to get off just yet. He was going to be held up a little bit. So Tim went back to his car, saw the young lady again, spoke to her, asked her if she needed a ride. She said no. He said, no, don't be afraid of me. My name is Tim Cole. I go to Texas Tech. Here's my driver's license. And then he showed him, showed the young lady his ID. The young lady said no. Tim went on about his way, drove off in his car. Well, that young lady turned out to be an undercover police detective. And what she told her superiors was, that's him, meaning that's the tech rapist that they had been searching for. They had set up the sting operation. And her superiors said, well, how do you know? And she said, because he looks like the sketch. So that's how they got Tim. And then he was subsequently identified by the victim uh, to a little bit of duress, I'd like to say. They mm-hmm. used a, uh, they had no photo of Tim on file because he had no police record anywhere in Lubbock, mm-hmm. in Fort Worth. He had never been arrested, didn't even have a traffic citation. So they went to his apartment because, ironically, Tim had reported that someone had tried to rob him uh, a few weeks earlier. Well, that same police undercover detective was the same police officer who actually went to his apartment hmm. to take the report. Mm-hmm. So Tim didn't know that because he was he just didn't pay attention to that. And they took a color Polaroid picture of Tim outside of his apartment, and they told him, well, hey, we think we have someone who can uh, identify who tried to rob you, but they need to know who, remember who you were. He said, okay. And that color Polaroid picture was placed in a photo lineup with five other photos that were black and white. Mm -hmm. So quite naturally, Tim's photos stood out amongst all the rest. And uh, 
the rest yep. is history, as we say. Okay, so the the night I assume it was night that this undercover officer uh, was, talked to Tim. It was daylight. Oh, it was daylight. Okay. <laughs> it was okay. daylight. And, and what when happened? was? I'm sorry. When was that in relationship to the rape? This was after the rape. There had been a series of rapes going on prior to Tim getting returning back to school, and and after he had been subsequently arrested and bonded out of jail. So they were trying to catch the tech rape. But just imagine the frantic of around mm-hmm. the campus of Texas Tech. Uh, right. There's a string of rapes going on. And they cannot catch this person. So they set up a sting to try and catch him. And this woman was actually the fifth of, of the fifth rape that happened, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, okay. So, all right. So these rapes are going on, and this other undercover officer was purposely looking for the rapist, or was this? Just, did this just happen to be? They were trying to see if they could catch the rapist because okay. the rapist had an mo of approaching his victims on foot. Now, uh-huh. keep in mind, Tim was in a car, and right. it was daylight. The rapist approached all of his victims on foot at night and gave the same uh, ruse. He, he knocked on the window of the person uh, who was uh, the victim, asked them if they had jumper cables, and then forced his way in the car, drove off away from the campus, and assaulted them. The rapist never showed his ID and said, I'm a student, and the rapist <laughs> never drove a car. So Here's my name, date of birth, and this is where you can find me, right? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, they were just in a rush to arrest someone to, uh, you know, calm the fears of all of these students and their parents. Uh, at that time, students were checking out of school and going back home because they could not catch the tech rapist. So, and they ran with that. We've mm-hmm. captured the tech rapist. And, and, and Corey, how much did Tim look like the sketch they had? Uh, the only thing he looked like him was it was an African-American male. That's the only That's thing it, it was. And, That's it. Uh, the, it, it. And to have an uh, undercover who say, well, he looks like the sketch, well, that's not identification. Uh, and then to go on, uh, Tim was arrested and my mom and dad went up and to Lubbock and bailed him out, brought him back home that night, and that was another rape that happened the same way. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the uh, police did not know that Tim was on an airplane back to Fort Worth, Texas, mm-hmm. and yet that same young lady picked him out of a lineup. Mm-hmm. And it's due, <clears throat> the science behind eyewitness identification is is astounding. Uh that people, uh, some officers, uh, can tend to put undue, unnecessary, unintentional influence on a rape victim. Absolutely. And, now, uh, Corey, did you were you guys able to undercover police misconduct regarding that identification? No, we weren't. But uh, we still fought with Lubbock a little bit for them to turn over all of their. Files in, in, in versus Tim's case, but you know I've spoken with the uh, rape victim. You know we've gone around the country together and uh, done speaking engagements. She's even eaten dinner at my house a couple of times. Um, on the photo spread, and she remembers certain things that happened uh, during that uh, photo lineup. Uh huh. She recalls that 
the detective pointing at the picture and said, do you see anyone on there? And said, what about him? What about him? What about him? And she commented, I think that's him. And the detective wrote on the photo near Tim's name, that's him. And that's not an identification. She said, I think that's him. But mm-hmm. the detective wrote, that's him. And it was handed on off to the prosecutors. And uh, he was subsequently indicted. And she repeated that on the witness stand in the trial transcripts. So she did, that she wasn't sure. She said, no, I said, I think that's him. Mm -hmm. But still, they ran with it. And now, by the time the trial had happened, Tim was offered probation prior the day before trial. He turned it down. He said, I'm not going to accept probation for something I didn't do. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, by this time... They, the Lubbock Police Department had already arrested Jerry Wayne Johnson for two other rapes that happened the exact same way as the one Tim was accused of. So, and, and Johnson was out of custody at the time uh, the rape happened after Tim was released yes, as well? he was not in custody. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was not in yes. custody. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, so it, 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 it makes you think. And we wholeheartedly believe sure that the Lubbock Police Department knew full well that they had the wrong person when they arrest after they sometime before his trial, they realized that Tim was the wrong person. Now, the chief of police of the Lubbock uh, of Texas Tech uh, Police's, uh, Police Department, he said all along, you've got the wrong person. It's not Tim Cole. The chief but, said that. The chief of the oh, Corey, Tech hang on to that. We need to get into that. Uh, we need to take a quick break, though. You're listening to Corey Session, the brother of Timothy Cole, who was ex- who was exonerated posthumously in 2009. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com 
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F-R-A-N-C-I-E at PISdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Corey Sessions' brother, Timothy Cole, died in prison serving time for a crime he didn't commit. Corey's here today along with Nick Vilbus from the Innocence Project of Texas to talk about this amazing case. And this, uh, even though justice was ultimately done, it's certainly a travesty that Tim and his family went through all of these horrible things. So you were just saying, Corey, that the chief, the chief of police of Lubbock, is this Lubbock, Texas? Of the Texas Tech. Police of Department. Tech, yeah, the oh, Texas Tech Police Department. Did uh, not believe that Timothy was the right guy. He, he said all along that you have the wrong person because it was pretty, you know, cut and dry to him that the person they subsequently arrested, Jerry Wayne Johnson, had the same M.O. He approached him on foot at night. They were alone, forced his way in the car, asked, asked, you know, under a ruse of asking them for jumper cables or if they had to get taken to the gas, and drove off and raped them. Uh, that was totally different than the way the uh, undercover detective said Tim approached her. He approached her. It was dusk. Mm-hmm. He showed his ID, and he was in a car. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind also that each rape victim said that the rapist smoked heavily. Tim could not smoke. He was a severe asthmatic, which is what caused him to suffer a massive heart attack while he was in prison and die. Um, they found no evidence. There was a fingerprint that they, the uh, Lubbock Police Department did lift, but the Lubbock Police Department admitted that they had destroyed it, and that's never unheard of. I mean, that's never uh, and that's unheard of. You don't destroy right. anything like that. Right. So they went ahead, went forward with it, and um, the chief of police of the Lubbock Police of the uh, Texas Tech Police Department. Uh, said, no, you've got the wrong guy. It's got to be this guy, Johnson. It's the same exact way. Mm-hmm. He went to trial and was found guilty, and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. And, you know, Jerry, I mean, I have a picture here of Jerry, Jerry Wayne Johnson, and, of course, it's later years, but I don't see any resemblance between the two of them at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there was uh, The only resemblance is that they were both of African-American descent. Yeah. That's it. There, there was nothing. They were from totally, totally different. By, and you would think if there's a rapist out there that uh, and you've arrested him, you're going to do some background check. I mean, you're going to go check on, you know, his life uh, mm-hmm. back at home, see what he was like in school. They did nothing of the sort. And uh, Jerry Wayne Johnson's photograph wasn't in that lineup. No, it was not. Yeah. And he was and- never shown to them, never shown to the victim. And the other photographs that were in that photo lineup, did they were they similar looking photo, photographs, or were they a lot different? Like what happens often? The only thing that was similar is that they were all African American. Yeah. Okay. And the others were, they were um, police photos that they had been arrested. Tim was his photo of him standing outside his apartment, <laughs> so of course it stood out. So, so it was. So, was it even even a headshot? It was. It was more of a, from about mid chest up to the head is what what you see of of, of T 
him that they used. Now, after they arrested him, they subsequently used a mugshot, and they used one of all of them standing up in a line. So uh, things that uh, I can tell you that the local police department definitely does not do that way anymore. Uh, oh, good. Good. Well, it's good. It's good. Well, there were there was other exculpatory evidence, um, too, that wasn't disclosed. Is that right? Yes, there was a um, – well, Nick can tell you about that more than I can, uh, uh, just from him reading the uh, from reading the uh, transcripts and uh, seeing the, the few po- police reports. But there was nothing, absolutely nothing, that tied Tim to that rape other than the eyewitness identification of, yeah. I think that's him. That's it. All right, Nick jump, Nick, jump in here. Tell us what the exculpatory evidence was. Well, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily uh, exculpatory evidence that was withheld uh, because we actually don't know what was withheld or not because we haven't seen the full file to know what evidence they had or didn't have. Uh, but we do know that they tried to use uh, evidence uh, from the crime, uh, like a, a T-shirt that was allegedly being worn. Uh, they pulled a T-shirt out of the basement of the... Uh, location that Tim was renting uh, that was a tiny shirt that didn't even fit. I mean, I don't even think it would fit a toddler. Correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, but wasn't it a a children's shirt? Yeah, it Uh, was a a children's shirt. Uh, And, you know, Tim was a small frame, but they pulled this shirt out, and even the rape victim said, "Uh, no, it it wasn't terry cloth. They pulled out a terry cloth shirt. She said, I would remember if it were terry cloth because I hate terry cloth. So, yeah. and sure it did fit. No pun intended, but it goes back to the OJ trial. You know, it doesn't fit. Okay, come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and there was the the ring that was taken that they they found a ring and tried to use that and say, hey, this was the ring that was stolen. And even the victim said, yeah, that's not that's not it. So there was, you know, like like Corey said, there was practically no evidence implicating Tim at all. Well, the, and the other thing I'm looking at here, you, know, you just said that Tim was of small stature. How, do you know how tall and how much he weighed? Uh, Tim was a slender build. Uh, back then, I'd say he probably weighed around 150 pounds, 158 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, he was six, uh, just over six, about six one. Uh, he's a little taller than what Jerry Wayne Johnson was. Uh, Jerry mm-hmm. Wayne Johnson was a, a, a thicker build than what Tim uh, was, uh, even in the photo lineup. And and here's the an ironic thing, uh, is that many years later, when uh, the governor uh, of Texas created the Tim Cole Advisory Panel, one of his uh, assistant uh, general counsels, a uh, lady by the name of Marianne Wiley, uh, just wonderful woman, said, opened a meeting up, and she said, you know, this case of Timco is, I'm partial to it, because when I first started practicing law and prosecuting in Lubbock, I mm. prosecuted Jerry Wayne Johnson for aggravated rape as a teenager. So oh, my goodness. The city of Lubbock, the Lubbock Police Department, they knew, they had access to his uh, uh, history uh, mm-hmm. all along, and it, and it just, you know... It, it's just unbelievable that this small town investigating all these rapes, the same force, police force, 
didn't put these two together and say, okay, well, it can't be this guy. This guy has a pristine record. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, his brother's in college here also at Texas Tech. Oh, by the way, his sister's in law school here at Texas Tech right now. Mm-hmm. It was not in him. But you have this other guy that they just totally ignored on this one particular case, the first one that they wanted to label someone as the tech rapist. Now, interestingly enough, um, nobody clearly nobody listened to Tim. And, um, and I don't know, I mean, I don't, I don't know how his, uh, defense went. I, you know. He had one of the best defense attorneys there was at that time, a gentleman by the name of Mike Brown, who wholeheartedly believed Tim was not going to be found guilty. He said he was expecting the, uh, the, uh, case to be dropped. And so really? a lot of his uh, other members of the defense community in Lubbock, they thought it would be dropped because, hey, you got this other guy and this guy. But they did not. They chose to go forward with it. Interesting. So Jerry Wayne Johnson confesses in 1995. Nothing happens. Correct. He sends um, letters to the prosecutor at the time. He sends letters to the judges. Nothing. Okay. And then how did how did it come about that um, after Tim died, this started moving forward? Uh, uh, we never gave up. Uh, Nineteen December second, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, Tim had a massive heart attack in prison around four thirteen p.m. Mm. Uh, that sent us in a little shockwave there because we did not know. The years pass and go on. We don't give up, but it just stays in the back of our head. And Mother's Day weekend, 2007, a letter arrives in the mail uh, addressed to Tim. And letters had come in the mail, you know, before, maybe two years before. Just other people who had, may have been in prison with him and were just wondering or, you know, had crossed paths with him. Mm-hmm. But this particular letter was different. It was from Jerry Wayne Johnson, and it basically said, Dear Mr. Cole, you may remember me from your trial that uh, where Lubbock wrongfully convicted you. And he said, went on to say that he was responsible for the rape that Lubbock had wrongfully convicted him of, and that he, Jerry Wayne Johnson, would do whatever it took to prove Tim's innocence. And he said, maybe through DNA testing or something that we can clear your name. Mm-hmm. And he gave the name and address of his mother and father in Lubbock, Texas, and said to contact them. Well, we contacted them, uh, and they were floored. They had no idea why he had done this, because Jerry Wayne Johnson's, what's his stepmother, had said, see if you could find this gentleman's name by the name of Tim Cole. And she said she just thought it was somebody that he knew from Lubbock. Hmm. And she said he went to Texas Tech. And those matter of public record, they had his old address on file, which was the same as where we grew up. And that's when he wrote that letter. We, uh, My mother first contacted Mike Brown, uh, who was the attorney of record at the time, and uh, he said it might take two, three years. And I was... 
not wanting to wait two, three years. So, <laughs> yeah, really, really. Uh, we contacted because um, I wanted it to be in Lubbock's paper because I remember the words tech rapist convicted and he plastered all over so I contacted the newspaper yeah. up there and a gentleman decided to write an article just based off of hey here's a type letter signed by some guy and he spoke with Mr. Jeff Blackburn also uh, <clears throat> who is uh, the founder of the Innocence Project of Texas mm-hmm. and he spoke with the uh, the uh, then DA Matt Powell of Lubbock County, and they Matt Powell agreed, and with Jeff's insistence that uh, they would search for the uh, rape kit and see if there's any evidence. And Mr. Powell commented, "We're going to do whatever it takes to prove Tim Cole's guilt or innocence." And uh, a year, with the emphasis, obviously, on the guilt. Yes, and about yes. a year a year went by. <laughs> Almost a year. Well, I'll say not a year. Probably six months went by, and we got a call from Jeff and because uh, uh, we had been conversing back and forth. And Jeff said, hey, man, they found the uh, rape kit, and it's more than enough to test. Oh, that's great. And they Corey, the we need to, I'm sorry to interrupt. We need to take another break. Uh, we'll be right back. This is just uh, this is riveting. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Timothy Cole died in prison after being sentenced to 25 years for a rape he did not commit. His brother is here to tell Timothy's story. Corey Session, along with uh, Innocence Project representative Nick Bilbus, attorney. I shouldn't. I should say attorney instead of representative. So um, you were just saying that you got word 
that there was enough DNA, they found the rape kit and there was enough DNA to test. Absolutely, and we, we celebrated here in Fort Worth, my mother I'll and my brother, when we found about the DNA because we, uh, DNA evidence being available, we knew if they tested it, it wouldn't be 10. A few months go by, and it, the word comes that uh, it is not Tim, it is Jerry Wayne Johnson, and, and that's who it matched. And uh, we proved for the first time in Texas, of all states, and the United States, that the innocent do die in prison. Yep. And this was a man who had never committed a single crime. He was just trying to live the American dream, serving his country, going to college, but he lived the American nightmare. We took that evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lubbock refused to give us an exoneration hearing. So through the open courts uh, and a court of inquiry, which Jeff Blackburn and the Innocence Project used, we were able to go to the state, down to the state capitol uh, at a district court there. And that's where he was uh, found to be uh, absolute, 100% moral certainty, innocent of the crime. And we went on to uh, increase the compensation for the wrongfully convicted of this of, in this state to the most generous compensation in the United States, ironically, comes out of Texas. And uh, we had to seek a pardon because my mother always said that uh, in many letters we got from Tim, he want, Tim said he wanted vindication, exoneration, and a pardon. Okay. The, governor, the governor said he couldn't pardon Tim because of an old law. And we pushed forward, got an opinion from the attorney general, and the governor pardoned him. But we were not satisfied, and uh, we needed more laws changed. And uh, mm-hmm. Nick can tell you about the other laws and other people who've gone on to be exonerated without DNA. So let me let me just repeat this, Corey, because I think this is really significant. It's the first time ever that a person has been exonerated after the after their death. Yes. Okay, using, and it's using a, DNA. Using DNA, and it's the first time ever that the court of inquiry in Texas was used to seek justice on behalf of somebody who was innocent. Correct. Successfully for someone who's gone to prison. Uh, so uh, we said a, a few first in that, uh, but uh, we we were able to change the compensation. We we're able to uh, change the eyewitness ID laws here in the state uh, to get all other states on board and uh, to get some more laws that have to do with non-DNA cases. But there are a lot of people in prison that DNA will not help. Uh, They're in there because of junk science, whether it's arson, shaken baby syndrome, or things like that. So uh, we just keep keep pushing. And, Corey, how did you change the eyewitness identification part? Corey, you want, you want to let me talk about some of it, Corey? Yeah, Nick can tell you about that because that is about 80% of all wrongful convictions are based off of Absolutely. eyewitness identification. Yeah. yeah. So, And I'll kind of give a, a, the, the big picture on kind of how this all came together and why this case was, was and is extraordinary, not only at the time, but it's still today. It's having a huge impact. Uh, so when we got that DNA finding that said that Tim didn't do it, at that point in time, the law said, there's nothing we can do. You can't file a writ of habeas corpus for a dead person. Uh, There was no legal way to exonerate him. Uh, So our chief counsel and founder, Jeff Blackburn, being the legal eagle that he is, had designed and had, you know, because he reads the Texas Constitution, 
in the Code of Criminal Procedure, he knew he could use this court of inquiry process to get us there. It had never been done in this manner, uh, but he had a vision, he had a bold vision, and he had a strategy. So we, you know, we went through the process, we got it done down in Austin, we timed it up with the legislature uh, while we had these things, you know, these things to point out that we wanted to get legislative fixes on. So we have the hearing at the same time the legislature's going. Uh, we highlight the case. And coming out of that 2009 legislature, we end up with the Timothy Cole Compensation Act, which is, the, you know, like Corey said, the most progressive uh, compensation package in the country. Uh, and we also ended up with the Timothy Cole Advisory Panel on Wrongful Convictions. Now, that panel made, a, uh, they made six recommendations at that time, after that session, uh, for fixes that needed to be acted on by the legislature. In the two sessions since then, five out of those six recommendations have been acted on by the Texas legislature. Uh, the one that is still outstanding is the recording of custodial interrogations. Uh, we're targeting that one for the next session. We think we're going to be able to get something done on that front. Okay. Uh, but importantly, uh, two years ago, uh, eyewitness ID uh, reform was passed. And it required that all Texas law enforcement agencies have a policy on eyewitness ID procedures. Uh, they tasked uh, uh, a state body uh, to do a study to put together a model policy. Uh, we were a part of that process, had a representative take part. And uh, thankfully, what came out of that recommendation was a model policy that mirrored all of the most up-to-date uh, standards and research that had been done. Uh, so starting on September 1 of this last year, every state agency had to have a policy on the books. Uh, we have surveyed all of the law enforcement agencies, and we're currently right now putting together the research and going to hopefully have a report ready for early this next year, outlining you know, what agencies have updated, how, they've, you know, how well they've done. Uh, we're going to issue grades for each policy. Uh, so we think we're going to be able to showcase how hmm. Texas has moved forward on that, you know, on that front and how other departments can still improve their policies. So hopefully this doesn't happen to somebody else going forward. Uh, another one of the fantastic recommendations that was made was concerning uh, cases involving junk science and how you're able to get those cases back into court. Uh, we were able to successfully uh, support some legislation this last session Called, uh, we called it you know, the Junk Science Rip Reform Bill, uh, Senate Bill 344. Uh, this is specifically for cases involving outdated or flawed scientific evidence. Uh, prior to this statute, there was no specific way to get that evidence back into court. You had to shoehorn it through either a constitutional claim or some other you know, way to get it in there. And there's no guarantee that even if you had the doctors in your case saying that they were incorrect, that you were ever going to you were ever going to get your case back into court meaningfully and get a new trial. This new statute allows that to happen. It's the first statute of its kind in the country. Uh, we've already seen a handful of cases get uh, filed on, and some successes happen. Uh, back great. in November, we were able to get out the San Antonio Four uh, using this new statute. There are four women, uh, four lesbian women in San Antonio, who were convicted in the uh, late 90s of sexual assault. An assault that didn't happen. The medical evidence at the time uh, said that it did, uh, but we were able to get experts to review it now and say that that evidence is not indicative of a sexual assault. Uh, so we've, we're seeing early successes, uh, and Texas is really leading the nation on this issue. Uh, you know, people can say a lot of things about Texas, but whenever we're, 
you know, whenever we recognize that there's a problem or we've made mistakes, yeah. uh, you know, through the work of, you know, our organization and other stakeholders, we've really been able to make some serious progress. Uh, we've been doing this statewide arson review for over a year now, where our state fire marshal has partnered with us to review old arson convictions. He put together a panel of experts to review these cases and to render an opinion on the arson investigations. Now, that's unheard of. This is, uh, you know, it's not being done anywhere else, and Texas is willing to take that, you know, take the charge and lead the country on it. Uh, That's fabulous. Most people who are, you know, somewhat familiar with wrongful convictions are familiar with the Cameron Todd Willingham case, at least to some degree or another. Uh, And that's, you know, that case kind of spurred on this arson review, and Texas is taking the opportunity to take something that was, you know, largely seen as an embarrassment for the state and for arson investigators here, turn it into a learning opportunity and to use it as a, you know, as an impetus for change. And that's what's happening. And it's, you know, we're really excited to be a part of the process. And it just goes to show you that when you have justice in mind, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, an attorney, uh, an advocate on our side of it, or you run a state agency, when you have justice in mind, you can get some fantastic work done. You know, um, Nick, while you're talking about that, what is, what does your agency recommend as a process for eyewitness identification? Well, there's a you know there's a whole host of you know of research that lays it all out. Uh, you know, it, it takes forever to go into all of the you know fine details, but it's the double blind uh, no, you know non sequential lineups uh, okay. that all of the research supports. Uh, that, you know, it's still even then you're not, you know, you can still have mistakes happen, but, you know, based on the research that's been done, using those very specific uh, procedures allow you to minimize, you know, the chances for that happening. Right. You know, unfortunately, the brain is, you know, is fallible, and you have a desire to fill in gaps and to, you know, have complete memories, and it's like any other trace evidence. It can be tainted. You know, it can be tainted in completely innocent ways, you don't even know that it's happened. So it's important to follow, you know, the best practices and procedures so those things don't happen and you have the best chance to get a, you know, a viable photo lineup done. And double blind meaning that the person conducting the investigation is not the one that is providing the photo lineup. Exactly. Correct. And also that person doesn't know who the suspect is in that group right. of photos. Right. Okay, and the sequential lineup is one photo at a time instead of a six-pack. Yeah, the six-pack is not the, you know, that's the research says that's not the way to do it. And I think research also shows that what people typically do is they pick the person like the woman did in this case that looks most like the person that she remembers. Yep, correct. And, of course, as we all know, that memories, uh, our memories are faulty. And, you know, if, if... if you've ever had to pick, I did this. If you've ever had to pick a person out of a photo lineup, it's not easy. Correct. You know, your memory not. is not really what you think it is. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and the problem is, for the longest time, the, you know, the standard was if you have an eyewitness that can say they saw someone at the scene or doing a certain act, slam dunk, you've got your case right there. But as we've learned, you know, through the research is that, you know, eyewitness accounts are, you know, they're just hard. It's hard to bank a whole case on it. Uh, and that's why they've played a role in 80% of wrongful convictions. 
You yeah, need some corroborating evidence with an eyewitness identification as well. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay, guys, we have to take another quick break. More to come with Innocence Project of Texas Attorney Nick Gilbus and Corey Session, Tim's brother. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Corey, Tim Cole's brother, and Nick Vilbus from the Innocence Project have returned. Um, you know, you had so many firsts in this situation, and I, I commend uh, the Innocence Project and Corey, you too, for being involved, becoming involved with the Innocence Project, and the state of Texas for s- stepping forward and, and allowing all these firsts to happen. It's amazing. Uh, you know, I, I wish we could see this go across the country, and maybe we will. It sounds like it's starting to happen. Um, Corey, we were just talking about uh, tell everybody, tell our listeners about the plaque that has been placed at your brother's resting place. Well, I'll tell you, uh, the idea came, uh, was going through the sister cemetery of uh, where my uh, daughter's grandmother is buried, and I happened to see a historical marker inside the cemetery that was talking about a former stunt pilot uh, in Hollywood who happened to be buried here. And I said, oh, well, why don't we do something like that? And so I told my mother about it, and I actually went backwards. You're supposed to start locally, but I, <laughs> I called the governor's office and a few people and said, hey, we want to do a historical marker. Well, they signed a letter saying, yeah, we can do it. And uh, after a little wrangling with the uh, cemetery, because the cemetery says they don't do those, allow those anymore, so uh, we had to uh, handle them, and they agreed. Uh, it's a historical marker that uh, details uh, Tim's uh, 
journey from the time he left the military uh, to in school when he was wrongfully convicted uh, to his pardon by Governor Perry uh, and exoneration. But at the bottom of the uh, historical marker is uh, the final words uh, of that historical marker, mirror uh, or say something that Tim told my sister Karen, because after he was sent to prison, my sister Karen was still in law school at Texas Tech, and she wanted to leave and transfer and go back to uh, school here in Dallas, where she had done an undergrad. And Tim, being the brother he was, to inspire her, uh, give her some inspiration, he told her, uh, do not leave Tech's law school. And at the end of his that historical marker, it says, a man who once wrote from prison, I still believe in the justice system, even though it doesn't believe in me. Mm. Uh, he never gave up uh, the fight, but as my mother said, and our mother uh, passed away just uh, two months ago, mm. uh, but she got to see everything she wanted, his name cleared, uh, the vindication, the exoneration, and the pardon. Uh, she died at the age of 77, but, you know, that was Tim's legacy uh, to go and open the eyes of Texas. You know, our state song is the eyes of Texas. Well, the eyes of Texas have been closed so long when it comes to uh, wrongful conviction. And Tim was, yeah. a, was a bit, my mother said once that the tears that I've shed, maybe they're advising for the eyes of Texas to clear them up so they can see clearly. And it's helped us to know that Tim's life in prison was not in vain and that his legacy has gone on to help numerous people, whether it's financially, whether it's just to help them get out of prison or help prevent them from going to prison. So uh, we're, we're appreciative of that. And ironically, I was just in Lubbock a week ago, Nick and I, and the city of Lubbock, after all of these years, has finally uh, – relinquished and they've uh are naming uh have uh, agreed to name a park after tim called the tim cole memorial park it's across from the main entrance to texas tech university and in that park there will be a 15 foot tall bronze statue of tim uh wow. talking uh standing there so uh, we're pleased with that uh, because my mother, it was never about money. She just simply said, I want them to never forget. So hopefully they won't. And they never will. Nope. They never will. He's, his, le- his legacy will carry on not only in Texas, I think, but across the country. Absolutely. And it, it none of this would have happened if it had not been for... Uh, the nonprofit, uh, the Innocence Project of Texas, uh, they survive on donations because people don't give money. It's hard to get money, but the <laughs> donations that do come in, they are desperately needed uh, because they receive, and Nick will tell you this, they probably receive about two to 300 letters a month. Well, we receive more than that. <laughs> we uh, actually, I can give you a rundown on the numbers real quick. Yeah, would you, uh, We average over a 1,000 new requests for assistance, or roughly a 1,000 new requests for assistance each year. Uh, we've been taking requests since late 2006, early 2007, and we've had, we have over 10,000 uh, requests overall. Uh, so we average, you know, anywhere from 100, 150 letters a week. 
Um, and, you know, if you just look at the numbers alone, there's over 150,000 people currently in the Texas prison system. And if you take the conservative estimate of a 1% wrongful conviction rate, which most people will agree it's higher than that, but that's an easy round number to start with, that means there's over 1,500 people who are currently behind bars who don't belong there. Uh, that's, you know, an astronomical number. Uh, that's, you know, each one of those person, you know, each one of those people is their own tragedy, their own, exactly. you know, worst situation that their family is dealing with, and it's their own personal nightmare. Uh, you know, when you get to that many people, it's kind of mind-boggling. How do you tackle that problem? How do you, you know, how do you deal with that? And, you know, that's the and work you're just talking we, about. You're just talking about in Texas. And just in Texas, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and we're you know we're we've always worked well with you know having a strategy and a way to uh, try to get the most justice for the most people, uh, and it's by taking cases like Tim's and turning them into a big deal, and you know leveraging it into reform that can help more people. Uh, we're doing it with the arson cases, uh, with the junk science bill, where you know we have you know new opportunities to help people. Uh, but like Corey said, it's hard to do without funding and. You know, the reality is this can be somewhat of a forgotten cause. Uh, and there's also, you know, each regional project is their own project. And we're affiliated with the national project, but we're completely separate organizations. So each, you know, regional or state project has to do their own fundraising. So if people, you know, listening to the radio want to support, you know, this work, wherever it may be, if they want to support their local efforts, you know, look up what, you know, who's in your state and, and support them because they need the help. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so, same goes for us. If people want to support our work, you know, we have a website they can go to. Uh, we give have your Facebook. Website. Uh, with give www, your website. www.ipoftexas.org. www.ipoftexas.org. Yes, ma'am. Spelled out? Can, it's, yes, ma'am. ipoftexas.org. Okay. Or you can just Google us and you'll find us. Uh, uh, you can learn more about Tim's case through the website, about some of the more uh, cases that we're working on, the San Antonio Four. Uh, we have a lot of really exciting stuff going on. Uh, this is probably one of the most dynamic periods for uh, our organization and innocence work overall. Uh, things are moving in the right direction, but there's still a lot of people that need to come out. And, Nick, on Tim's case, how many years were you involved in it? Uh, Corey, I think, didn't you guys first contact us, what, in 2008, 2009? 2007. Okay, 2007. And we actually, I was in, I was in law school whenever we were working on the case. Uh, I started with our law school clinic uh, the semester after kind of the big breakthrough had come with connecting with the victim and, you know, the DNA testing. And uh, that was my first year in the clinic when we were doing the court of inquiry process, pioneering that thing, and doing the legislative stuff. And that experience was one of the main reasons why I really decided, you know, this is a, a great organization yeah. that knows how to get good work done, is doing righteous work, and I want to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot through the process and I haven't left their side since. And, you know, I kind of planted my flag and being a part of, you know, Tim's case and, uh, you know, getting to know Corey and his family it's been all of the, you know, motivation and reason I needed to know that this was the right place for me to be. Uh, and hopefully Tim's story and all that's come out of it will continue to be that for other people and will, you know, inspire them to always keep justice in mind, whether it be, you know, uh, someone that they know or whatever the situation may be, it will inspire them to do good things and to devote their time and energy to good work. Absolutely. Well, and I, I would tell any, anyone out there who's, 
has lost a loved one uh, or someone who uh, in prison that they believe was innocent. It took us almost 25 years. But yes. don't surrender and don't give up. And there's many, there's a lot of heroes in this case. Absolutely. I mean, Tim is certainly a hero, but his, the victim that identified him is a hero too, because she's going forward with you guys. You guys are great representatives of the Innocence Project. And of course, I have to say, your mother's a hero as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank so, you. We have to close, guys. This has been uh, just a very touching show. Thank you so much for um, participating, and good luck with your future projects. I'll be watching, uh, and thank you for being here. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's CIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Nick, and thanks, Corey, so much. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.